Welcome back to episode 39. I am lucky enough to have Dr. David Hornschmidt join me. David is an emergency medicine consultant from Windy Wellington, but originally from Scotland. David is also a running coach with Trail Athlete and also a very competitive runner himself, reaching the podium in over 40 events in the last few years, with the majority of these being first placings and some even being course records, such as the Tarawera 50k in February this year. We discuss what life is like as an emergency doctor, including shift work, what brought him to New Zealand, his running journey, his approach to coaching and health, and much more. We really hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Nourish Your Potential podcast. My name is Kushla Holdaway and I'm a registered and accredited sports dietitian based in beautiful New Zealand. I am so glad you have joined me on this podcast where we will discuss science, sports nutrition, running and physiology alongside interviews with athletes, experts and other health professionals. Whether you're listening to this podcast during your commute, your training session or whilst cooking up a storm in the kitchen, you can be reassured information is discussed in a thought-provoking, evidence-based and easy-to-understand manner so that you have more tools in your nutrition toolbox to be your best self. Thanks for joining me, David. How has your week been going? Yeah, good, thanks. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. Busy week at work. It's getting cold in Wellington, but yeah, no complaints. Mm. And tell us a little bit about what you do for work. Yes, I'm an emergency medicine specialist. I'm working in Hutt at the moment, um, but I've worked a few places around the North Island in New Zealand, and before that, back in Scotland. Mm-hmm. Cool. How long did you work in Scotland before coming out to New Zealand? Yeah, so I trained there in Edinburgh, um, which was 2008 and then till 2013. Mm-hmm. Worked in Glasgow for a few years after that and decided to come over to try New Zealand, initially just for six months, uh, and that was in 2016, and then just loved it here. So I've been here ever since. It's a familiar story. I think a lot of people come for just a holiday or a bit of travel, but then never go home. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, we were quite um, lucky in that we had a bit of a career gap. So myself and my partner, who's also a doctor, we had kind of three to four months to just camper van around, you know, do the classic Kiwi camper trip and had a fantastic time. And then had the six month job lined up in Hamilton. And they were so fantastic there. The work was great. The country was great. We were just having a lovely time. So continued it. So now it's been there. Yes, seven years, is that right? Six, seven years, yeah. And do you feel like Wellington will be home for a while or do you have your eye on any other places around New Zealand? Uh, At the moment, no, very happy here. Yep, I have a really nice job in huts. Um, I do quite like the idea of exploring and working new places, so there might be itchy feet at some point, but no plans at the moment. Yeah, and plenty of good trails around Wellington anyway. There certainly is, yes. Yeah, and that's why I quite like moving around too. You get a whole new bunch of trails and activities to explore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was lucky enough, yeah, we had 
Waikato for three years and then Rotorua for a year and then Toronga for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. So I've managed to yeah, have a nice kind of, and, and they're all really nice places to shoot off from as well. So, you know, when you're in the central North Island, you've got like this whole area to explore. It was pretty fantastic. So, mm. Yeah. Good base. Mm. And emergency medicine is not for the faint hearted. So what made you choose that? For a specialty? Yeah, I suppose um, it was more just the right fit of people I found. So my experience through my training um, when I was exposed to emergency medicine was I was like, oh, this is my people, you know. Um, so it's you've got to be prepared to have to deal with anything that comes through the door. And I think that that needs a certain kind of mindset and someone who's very practical and very um open and uh, willing to learn and doesn't have a big ego and you know I think all these things kind of fitted my personality and I just kind of found my my tribe you know that's that's something that's talked about in medicine that you kind of find your niche you find your fit um, so yeah quite early on I identified that yeah that was kind of my place to be mm, mm. and what other was there anything else that tickled your fancy over the time or did you know quite early on that that was your niche um, well, I suppose the, the critical care aspects always interested me. Um, so I, I did enjoy my time in ICU and anaesthetics as well, and that you do that as part of your training. Um, uh, but yeah, there's just you know a few differences there, a little bit less fast-paced a lot of the time. Um, so yeah, the, the benefit of emergency medicine is you, every day is different. You never know what's coming through the door. Um, you know, you can do a seven day run of shifts and every day is so different. So it keeps me really interested and motivated. Mm. No two days are the same. And of course your hours are forever changing as well. Yeah. I suppose that's, that's the downside. (laughs) Uh, So now being, you know, at the end being a consultant, uh, it's a little bit easier. So I'm I'm not doing so many night shifts, but it it does mess with your life, the, the shift pattern. But I mean, there's lots of other jobs that have the same, so it's just finding tactics to deal with that. Um, I do often, yeah, feel it would be fantastic for my training if I had a consistent lifestyle where you could rely on going to bed at the same time, getting up at the same time, you know, getting your, your solid seven, eight hours of sleep. But that isn't often the case. And, you know, it's just it's one of those things you have to deal with. And, you know, I've been doing it now um, for long enough that you build in these tactics and these um, ways to get around it, I think. Mm. it's one thing isn't it Uh, like I really admire people who do shift work because to just have a normal job and fit in training consistently and looking after yourself and having good sleep patterns that's one thing but you throw in a continually changing roster of shift work and that is just next level so as a doctor I mean you're well aware of health so how do you manage your own tactics in managing shift work and not letting it take too much of a toll on you yeah, so it's, it's a, a lot of things, really. Um, and I often kind of think of, you know, the one percenters and they all add up. Uh, so for me, and I, I, there's no right way of doing this, I think. But for me, um, it's just getting the basics right. So, yeah, when you're on shifts, like particularly when I was doing lots of night shifts, um, it's just, yeah, not thinking you're Superman. So you have to get the basics right of I want enough sleep, I want good nutrition, I want rest. I want to exercise, you know, when I can and, and not to force it. Um, so, 
yeah, I would always try and exercise every day and it would make me feel better. Um, but night shift, you know, it's it's very easy to, it seems to be the norm that you kind of go to more a junk food type of diet or just get away with lots of caffeine or, you know, think that you've had your five hours sleep during the day and that's enough. But actually, you know, be realistic. It's, if you did that in the daytime as normal, that would just be ridiculous. So, yeah, I think it's just getting the basics right and then you can build on that. So um, my tactic would always be, you know, come home from a night shift go straight to bed, you know, I would be cycling home with sunglasses on just to like not get enough melatonin, you know, <laughs> just want to go straight to bed, um, get my solid kind of as much as I can really. And then I'd wake up with like a wake up run. Um, and that would just give me the energy and then try and eat as healthily as I can. So a lot of that's preparation, you know, taking the time to cook healthy meals and take snacks to work um, and not rely on the, you know, if you work in hospitals during night shifts, you just find there's so much chocolate and sweets that you you walk past and you're like, no, no, just be, be good. Let's not do that. Particularly when it's busy, you know, and you're just relying on a bit of a sugar pie, but it's just trying to avoid that. Mm. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, uh, some of my, my best results running has, has been during lots of those night shifts. I've managed to make it work for me. Um yeah, but I'm always open to learning new tactics and new tricks. And I speak to other people and they have their own different ways of doing things. And it's always quite interesting. Specifically with the food side of things, like if you were doing a shift, I don't know, let's just say 10 p.m. till 6 a.m., how do you time your food through that shift? Yeah, well, that's the thing, actually. And um, one of my kind of downfalls is, is probably not eating enough during shifts. Just, again, the nature of emergency medicine is you can just have not of time. Um, so uh, I've definitely been, uh, you know, a culprit of not eating enough, particularly for my volume of training. Um, and I have had a few injuries along the way. I think that's that's probably the reason, the number one reason. Um, so now I kind of rely on just making enough snacks. So it's whatever you can, even if you're just typing up a patient note or, you know, just take five minutes to step off the floor and eat something. Um, yeah, so it's a lot about that kind of food prep. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it's just easy, simple things, healthy. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just more of when you can rather than structured necessarily. Yeah. yeah. Oh, totally. If you go into your, your shift with a mindset of, I'm going to eat a proper meal at four in the morning, <laughs> it's never going to happen. It's, it's going to be someone sick that comes in and you're going to be stuck for several hours, you know, it's just yeah. the way it works. Yeah. Mm, interesting um and with the i guess experience being like working as a doctor back in scotland um and then working in new zealand how have you found the different health systems and what would be the most stark difference for you between the two yeah well i suppose actually that made it really easy is the fact that they're very similar um so the nhs and over here Actually, a lot of the medicine is the same. We rely on the same guidelines. Um, a lot of the processes, yeah. So for me, it was a very easy transition. Um, I think the, the biggest difference was, and the reason we, we stayed over here is that the working conditions are a lot nicer. And I think the NHS um, possibly had lost its way a little bit. For me, that's kind of how I felt personally. Uh, you know, quite a lot of being politicized and thinking in these kind of four-year time frames and, you know, 
the people making the decisions aren't actually thinking of the longer term, which would make what's best for the hospitals, the patients, the, the workforce. Um, so yeah, it was definitely kind of a tough period and that, that's one of the reasons I came over here and just had a much nicer working experience. Um, yeah, and there's a little bit of that here, you know, in terms of lots of managers and <laughs> not really understanding what happens on the floor, but it's a lot less than back in the UK, actually. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's good to hear. Yeah. Um, and with what you've done as well, uh, you've tried to make, I guess, an improvement on one aspect of emergency medicine. And would you say it's finished or in the still the stages of designing an app? Yeah, well, this is uh, it's still uh, still being developed. Yes, um, so this is something that came about last year, and a lot longer than that in in kind of thinking about it. Um, but myself and another ED consultant, we had just been chatting about you know the same problems we see in particularly emergency rooms and waiting rooms and people waiting a long time, and um, also just not having a clear picture in their mind of what other resources are available or you know what you could potentially be doing um, at home to self-care before you come to an emergency department those kind of things um, so yeah we thought is there a solution for this that, that's simple and, and this is where this app you know <laughs> came from uh, and it's grown wings since there so there's a lot actually you can put into that in terms of bringing a more cohesive collaborative um, you know, linking to other parts of your your health journey into it, but yeah, still developing. Um, the the kind of thing we foresee at the moment is an app that would be able to relate a lot of health resources, um, share what other sites are available and what other resources you can access in your locality, and the kind of waiting times that you can expect, um, and then linking it into a more seamless patient journey um, because yeah we, we see the same issues of just uncertainty and not really knowing what to expect and it's uh, you know for me I go to work every day and it's my job but other people in ED it's the worst day of their life mm-hmm. um, and just a bit of guidance and clarity makes such a huge difference um, so yeah we want to try and improve that but it's been a it's been a journey developing an app no one told me it would be that hard. So <laughs> it's uh, interesting. And, and we're on a fantastic um, business accelerator program in Wellington. Because um, obviously myself and my colleague, we, we don't have a lot of the business experience. So yeah, just kind of learning and developing. We'll see where it goes in the next year. Yeah, cool. That's a really, really neat idea. And would the goal of that be, for example, like someone sitting at home and um, they're feeling a bit, well, quite, quite, poorly and got a fever, maybe um, nausea and vomiting, uh, it's after hours, they're thinking I need some serious help here. Is that where they could use the app and go, you know, is this just something I should self-manage at home or based off my symptoms worsening or whatever, they can maybe come into ED. Is it is it kind of to help give people an idea of when it's more serious or not? Yeah, so there's, there's a upfront a triage tool um, that's well validated that will go through that process and kind of say, you know, are you unwell? Do you need to put an ambulance? Um, is this something that could potentially, you know, wait to see an out of hours or your GP in the morning, that kind of thing. 
Um, and, and, you know, we want to be very safe with this and very clear. So it's, you know, uh, a triage system that we would, you know, the same thing is used by, by Healthline and, and other places just to direct people to the safe mm. um, place of care. Um, but more than that, it will also then guide you through a journey of what other things could you potentially be doing in the meantime just to help. Mm-hmm. Um, like, yeah, as a fever, should you be, you know, a, a lot of people just from um, their own level of health literacy, you know, try different things for fevers that might not be effective or might not have an evidence base, but we can tell you, you know, these are the things that work, this is what you can try, um, and then we should get you to the right place of care, right? Um, and again, a lot of people think ED is, is the one place for everything, but there is other sites available. So whether this could be something that could be sorted out at an after hours or, you know, other problems, could this be sorted out at a pharmacy or a physiotherapist or, yeah. So it's just sharing what's available. Um, and then also a realistic expectation of what you can expect there and the timeframes, um, and hopefully kind of a current up-to-date uh, waiting time data is what we hope to display as well, um, which is still a work in progress. Mm-hmm. But, you know, again, if people's expectations is I'm going to go to ED and be seen immediately, but actually because it's a busy period, they might be waiting six hours potentially. Um, again, just being upfront and saying that's what's happening at the moment, that's what's realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that all helps, you know, just giving a clearer you know, less uncertain picture of what we're dealing with and what's going to happen. Sounds like a really neat initiative. I'm excited to see where that goes. Yeah, fingers yeah. crossed. Yeah, yeah, cool. Outside of that as well, uh, you also do coaching. So tell us a little bit about Trail Athlete and what you do for that. Yeah, well, I suppose um, I started trail running when I came to New Zealand. Um, so I was quite new to it. And actually, it, it kind of started because, again, that kind of camper van trip. And then my first year or two here, I just fell in love with going for walks. And myself and my partner would just have these long treks during the day and find all these, you know, really picturesque, beautiful things to do. Um, and then I realized if I ran it, I could see so much more in the same amount of time. <laughs> <laughs> so I started running on the trails and then... I was convinced by a few friends to sign up for some events and then it kind of progressed from there and I got better and better. Um, and then more recently, yeah, after I'd been doing pretty well and getting some good results, uh, I'd been invited by Hardis, who's the owner of Trail Athlete, to do coaching. And I thought, um, actually, you know, I've worked at this and... I've really thought about it and I've got quite a analytical mindset and quite a critical, even through my, you know, medical degree, there's a lot of kind of looking at the evidence and what works, what doesn't, having a very critical um, eye for things. So I felt like I had the knowledge and what I've done, you know, that works and then also what hasn't worked. (laughs) So I was quite excited to share that knowledge. Uh, So I thought, yeah, fantastic. Um, So now I've been with Trail Athlete for about two years. Uh, and we yeah, deliver personalized kind of one-on-one coaching um, through training peaks. I don't know if you've used that before. Yeah, um, which yeah, fantastic. I can set workouts, give feedback, um, you know, have a two-way conversation. And, and yeah, for me, it's, it's really rewarding just sharing what I've learned and being helpful where I can. 
and also, you know, even just simple things that I can help with, whether it's, yeah, nutrition, um, some of the kind of more, uh, you know, more medical aspects of things to, yeah, the specifics of running event mindset, your training. So yeah, it's been, it's been really nice just sharing some of those aspects. Um, but yeah, it can be time consuming at times, but I really enjoy it. So yeah. it's definitely worth it. Cool. Nice to have in the mixture of everything. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And then also, you know, it's a really nice community as well. That's, that's one of the main things in trail running that blew me away as well. When I started doing events, it's just the community is fantastic. Mm. Um, so to be part of that, yeah, in a small way and, and have, you know, our coached athletes do really well at events and turn up and have that kind of community vibe with our little team is, is fantastic. Yeah. What's, what's your history? Rewinding a little bit, like, so you mainly got into running when you came to New Zealand. Previously, as a younger adult and a, and a kid, did you do much sport or what did that look like? Yeah, I suppose I was always very active. Um, I grew up in a small island on the north of Scotland. Uh, and the lifestyle was, you know, I would just go out and play with my brothers all day and, you know, do any kind of sport, just, yeah, be outside all the time. Uh, I did a little bit of running, but nothing really serious. I think I did try a couple of events back in Scotland, you know, just trying, doing like a half marathon or, you know, and I just ran a lot of time just to de-stress during my first couple of years as a junior doctor, you know, you had very long working hours. You know, I remember a couple of rosters I was on, it was like, you know, 88 hour work weeks, those kind of things. And you're just, oh, so I would exercise, run just to de-stress. And, you know, I always felt it was so beneficial. It would give you clearer mindset and, you know, running is some of the times I get my best epiphanies and things become a bit clearer. So I really enjoyed it for that aspect. So I, I did a little bit of that, but never really thought about, oh, let's run on the trails and go explore the mountains. So that only really started in New Zealand. Mm. Um, but I was you know, active doing other stuff. I did football and tennis and cycling, and I was always pretty active. Mm. Yeah. So I think I had a good, yeah, this kind of nice aerobic base that I developed over years and then um, became a lot more specific to trail running when I came here. It's, it's been quite a natural progression and I mean there's a massive list of events you've won so you obviously got a bit of a natural flair for trail running and I mean yes of course you, you know you train hard too it's not just that you're a natural uh, but it is I, I do definitely think based off your shift work and everything else you juggle to then go out and still be so consistent winning events like that's really quite impressive um and most recently one of the ones you won was Rootburn uh and since then I think you've also won I can't remember the name of it oh there's a recent event the Torah uh, yeah. yeah yeah you won that as well yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um so I mean you must often think gosh if I I just trained full time <laughs> I, I, f I feel yeah I, I don't think I'm at as an amazing level I think um I often think about, you know, would it be nice to not be working full time and have more time to train? But, you know, I'm getting paid very well at my job and this is a hobby and I, I, you know, I like to keep it that way. I, I don't think if I, it'd be interesting, wouldn't it, if I went full time and had the, the time to rest and recover and eat properly, what could I do? Um, so maybe that is, you know, 
always been in the back of my mind. But for me, I'm very happy having it as a hobby and doing it with my spare weekends and, you know, being part of that coaching team as well is, is fantastic. So that's, that's certainly enough for me. Yeah. 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 Um, what are you working towards at the moment? Well, uh, I managed to get a place at UCMB, um, the OCC distance, which is 50, I think it's like 56K um, over in, in France. Um, so that is, yeah, uh, UTMB World Trail Running Championship. So I'm going over there in um, August to run that and having a nice little Europe trip. So a couple of other mini races as well when I'm over there just because I've never really ran in Europe or in the mountains over there in the Alps and there seems to be a race every weekend. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Um, and then after that, yeah, because I've done well in, in Kepler um, back there in December because they, they very kindly give you uh, a place um, to come back if you've um, done well there. Uh, and then after that, I need to have a look at my race calendar, make a, a bit of a structure for next year. I know I'll go back to Old Ghost Road. Cool. Um, because, again, I, I want a place in that again. So there's a, there's a few firm favourites of trail events in New Zealand. And then, you know, there's this ever-expanding list of, oh, I'd love to do that. You know, someone tells you about it and you just, yeah, that's on my list. Mm. <laughs> um, lots in New Zealand, lots of overseas as well. So hopefully we get to do a few more adventures. Cool. And so what's your secret then with with winning all these races? What's my secret? Uh, I don't know if there's a secret. I think that, you know, there's a lot of, as I talked about, getting the basics right um, and consistency. So, you know, and, and people have different tactics to get on the podium. So, you know, a lot of people I know, a lot of my competitors would be doing lots more higher volume training than me, whereas I'm kind of more lower volume, higher quality, just because I need to fit it in, I'd be quite efficient with my time. But the things I talk about with my my coached athletes are, you know, you need to have really good strength work. Um, yeah, make sure you are recovering. You don't want to be doing all your, your runs way too hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but you do need that quality of, you know, if you're in it for doing trail running or events that involve hills you need to practice on the hills if you are doing you know trying to get a fast half marathon time you need to be specific and do fast intervals on the road you know so it's um yeah just a lot of those basics and consistency as well is the main thing i think you know if you're showing up every day and putting something in then you'll be much better than if you're just a weekend warrior and doing your hard run saturday sunday and then working all week and not really doing much yeah. Um, it's just fitting it in. Yeah, even twenty minutes is better than nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I often say that as well. You know, you're you're better to do fifteen minutes every day than yeah. two hours when you can once a week. <laughs> um, exactly. Yeah. 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 Hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and with your own training, do you put quite a lot of emphasis on weight training? Would you say versus your mileage? Again, I, I find the weight training easy to fit in mm. with my schedule because I can just do it in the house. I've got a bit of a home gym set up. Um, and it's not always lifting heavy weights. A lot of it's just biometrics or, you know, good core and strengthening my glutes and, you know, the running muscles that people can kind of neglect sometimes. Um, and even 
on the days when I'm off, I'll go for a run, but then have a second workout in the evening, potentially doing a little bit of strength work. So I just find it fits in really easily with my day. Mm-hmm. And I don't mind doing it, I quite enjoy it. You know, I just put on something on YouTube or Netflix and just watch that as I'm exercising. So it's, yeah, for me, it works really well. Um, the running side of things, yeah, it's, for me, it takes me a little while to kind of get going for that. So I like to do a good warm up and a bit of activation and then get out there and have a solid run. So for me, doing kind of the 15, 20 minutes, yeah, I find it like I'd rather go for a, a bigger one. So I might save that until I know I've got at least a 45 minutes or an hour to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And with your own nutrition, Round specifically like longer training sessions and racing what what's your approach uh for racing specifically yeah, yeah like if we talked about say um was it the tour yeah called the Torah. Torah. it's uh on a on a walk on the east coast by martinborough yeah um well yeah it depends on the distance of the event so for anything over, say, an hour and a half, I do try and then get enough carbs in each hour of racing. So, you know, something like the Kepler or Rootburn, I try and get at least 60 grams of carbs per hour. And, you know, a lot of people say that they can go a lot higher than that. For me, that's been the kind of the amount that fits me nicely. Um, and always taking extra. So I tend to pack more than I think I need because I have, again, through experience, been caught short before and thought, ah. Oh, there's this one more climb at the end of this event and I totally ran out of everything and I'm feeling rubbish Mm. I wish I had another gel so yeah it's just um, being prepared and part of that too is you know early on in my you know doing events I cramped quite a lot as well so just taking a few extra sodium tablets and making sure you are getting enough salt in as well Mm. so that can be even in the, the days leading up just adding a little bit more you know, soy sauce to your cooking or having an extra bag of crisps just so you have got, you know, depleted, you know, you've got enough on board, particularly in the summer if you're sweating a lot. Mm-hmm. From a medical perspective, what are your thoughts on muscle cramps? In, in terms of why they happen? Yeah, because it seems to be a bit of oh. a, a, you know, there's multiple factors and no one seems to really know the true answer. Yeah, I know. I'm totally with you. Yes, it's a good question. Um, it's a hard question to answer. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's lots of theories. So there's a camp that will say, you know, it's all about your electrolytes. Your sodium needs to be super high when you're racing. And then there's others that say, you know, it's probably more just due to your conditioning and um, that, yeah, things like doing strength work and being resilient. Um, but, you know, there's a few really nice papers I've read where, um there's a multitude, there's a, a nice figure of a wheel of about 12 spokes coming out, and that's all the factors that could lead to cramp. Mm. Uh, I think the, the big ones, yeah, probably are more about your conditioning um, and your strength work and just being quite resilient, particularly for those longer events. Mm. Um, one of the workouts I give to to my guys if they're having an event that's got a lot of downhill is actually specifically working on running downhill because that really tears up your muscle fibers. <laughs> Um, and, and it seems to work anecdotally, you know, the more you do that, the more resilient you'll be during race day and people tend not to cramp as much. Mm. Um, but I have also at the same time had others that, 
you have a little tweak of the nutrition or the sodium and the cramp goes away as well. So, yeah, it's a tricky, bit of a nebulous one, unfortunately, and I don't think anyone's going to get to the, the bottom of it anytime soon, really. Mm. It seems to be a bit the same with, like, um, you know, stomach stitch as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, like a bit of a, well, it depends, and there's a lot of different things that could lead to the stitch. Mm. Yep. And, you know, a lot of that's just being prepared. If you want to do well in an event, it's practicing your race-specific conditions, your nutrition, your equipment, and just try and sim that a few times. And, you know, also training your gut mm. as well with the things you are going to take on race day. Yeah. Yeah. Training your gut at planned intensity. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and running's not the only thing you do. So you've also dabbled in triathlon. Are you planning on doing much more with that come summertime or do you think you'll just focus on the trails? Yeah, the triathlon came about because I got injured actually. Um, so I managed to get a stress fracture. Um, oh. I can't remember what year now. It must have been 2018. Um, and that was from, I think, just increasing my load of running too quickly. And my body hadn't been used to that yet just because I'd yeah fell in love for the trail running and just thought oh I can do these you know 30 mile runs whatever easy um but then not eating enough mm. so I think I was in a bit of relative energy deficiency and ended up with the stress fracture and because I hate to sit still and I like being very active <laughs> I thought hey this triathlon thing sounds interesting <laughs> so so I kind of taught myself to swim I did use a program um, near the start called Swim Smooth. Um, you've heard of that before. So, oh. yeah, fantastic. If you want to get into swimming, um, it's uh, started by this guy, Paul Newsom, who's now in Australia, and he's got this model of kind of if you start trying to swim, you come out with, you know, six different uh, kind of potential models of what you're doing wrong, and then it lets you build on those floors and, and make you progress and get better. So, yeah, I did that over... The year swimming a lot um ended up cycling a lot and then i think i was out of actually doing any running for about four or five months mm -hmm. and then built that back and yeah signed up for my first half ironman and then did a few others and ended up doing an ironman in the end uh and then yeah um managed to get a second overall i think and qualify for going to kona um and then that was delayed because of covid so I eventually made that last year. Um, unfortunately, I made that when I was also injured because I managed to get hit by a car before that. Oh, my goodness. So that, that, that Kona experience was more of a, um, yeah, just being there rather than competing. I just did it very slowly. But I really enjoyed I enjoyed the other Ironmans I did. So I did two in New Zealand and then a few half Ironmans too. Yeah. And and I would I would happily do another one. I definitely prefer the, the running more. That's that's kind of my, my biggest joy. Yeah. Uh, I have signed up <laughs> what, recently for the half Ironman in December in Tobol. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which I'm kind of regressing now because <laughs> I've not swam for about a year. Yeah, so I need to get back on that again. Are you planning on doing Kepler in December? Yes, yeah. it's the week after, in fact. So it's going to be Kepler and then seven days later doing Tobol half Ironman. Yeah. So Kepler, we'll see how that goes. Kepler's the warm-up and then just 
the half Ironman the next weekend. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, and, and getting hit by a car. So um, that sounds awful. And did you end up being the patient in ED then? Uh, well, I, I I live on a very steep hill in Wellington, as lots of them are, and um, it's quite narrow with a few blind turns. So I'm just going home on my bike from the pool, in fact. Um, and someone was just coming up the hill way too fast on my side of the road. So I essentially just came around this corner and they immediately smacked into me and did a full kind of 360 over the top of their bonnet and landed up way behind them. Uh, so I actually just, I was about 200 meters from home, in fact. So I, I just got up and walked it off and went home. Um, the guy didn't even get out of his car. Um, and I did feel like a bit of a limp in my shin for about a week. And I thought, all right, cool, I'll just not do anything. You know, I didn't run for a week. Um, and then it kind of felt fine. And I just kind of cracked on with things and got back to normal. It didn't feel like I'd, I'd done anything major. Mm. And then, yeah, being a doctor, I feel really stupid because I then started to try and run it more and more and it did start to hurt. And I kind of delayed getting an x-ray, but finally did. And then, yeah, I've got a fracture in my tibia. It's like, oh, great. So not only did I injure that being hit by a car, but I also then tried to run on it for weeks. <laughs> So I felt pretty stupid after that, and it probably led to a longer healing process. So, yeah, that was something like in July, and then the Kona Ironman was in October, and I'd been out of running, I think I needed a good eight to ten weeks, because mm-hmm. I ended up getting an MRI, and it said I hadn't healed. So, yeah, it was about eight to ten weeks of no running again, and then that was like right before going to Hawaii, and I thought, oh, yeah. I might as well just still give it a go. I'm not going to get my money back and it's a nice holiday, so I'll just go and have a try. So I still managed to finish and it was a fun event in Hawaii. It's a great experience. But yeah, part of me would like to give it another go and see what I could do if I was fully fit. Yeah, and not coming back from an injury in a short time. Was the fracture from the car accident, was that... um... Was that the same bone as your stress fracture? No, a different, different place, okay. yeah. I remember as, as I impacted the ground, the bike kind of knocked against my shin. Um, and that's where I was most sore, but I was kind of like, oh, you know, if you get hit in the shin, you are sore and you'll just be limping. So that's kind of what I thought mm. was going on. But yeah, pretty stupid that I, I didn't get x-rays straight away. You find a lot of medical people do that. <laughs> they just kind of self-treat and, and yeah, don't take things as seriously for themselves. So I fell into that that camp. Uh, yeah, my my stress fracture, my first one was in my my heel, my calcaneus, um, like the ball of my foot, and that was yeah. I actually ran an event called the Tanifa, um up on the Waikato River Trails, and it was during some point during that where it just started so I was about halfway through the, the marathon distance um, and just started getting this progressively worse pain in my heel as I was running and then by the last 5k it was horrendous it was like someone was putting a hot poker in my heel mm. and finished the event and couldn't walk I was like this is terrible 
um, managed to win event actually, despite being in pain. Uh, and then I wasn't silly with this one. I, I got seen straight away and they diagnosed this, this stress fracture and said, oh, it's probably just from running too much, but then it's just progressed during this longer event. So yeah, that was the first one. And that took ages to heal. As I say, that was kind of four months mm. off of proper running. Um, and then I was slowly getting back into it by running on, you know, grass and soft surfaces. Yeah. Mm. But, you know, I learned a lot from it and I worked a lot harder on my nutrition and was a lot more careful to eat enough after that and found triathlon. So, do you know, there was a, a silver lining. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It- I don't like to be too pessimistic about it. Yeah. The good things happen from it. Yeah. You always learn something. Um, what... Is there anything really specific that you could share that you've changed actively with nutrition since then? Just eating enough, actually, for me. Yeah, and I was a bit naive. Um, Certainly, you know, when I was growing up as a teen, I think I was completely, I thought I was doing the right thing, trying to be healthy, because all the messaging at the time was, you know, don't eat any fat, that's really bad for you. Um, So I would actively try and avoid eating fat and things like you know I remember telling my dad I don't want to eat any eggs <laughs> I take the eggs out because I think it's unhealthy like just these silly things that kind of were the messaging around healthy eating at the time mm. and the more and more you learn um, you realize actually there's a lot of basics that you just need to get right and you can eat a healthy natural diet but for the level of training I was I'm doing um, it needs to be enough and that's that's the main thing mm. so um, I recently had like a body composition assessment and I think my baseline calories that I need just without exercise would be three and a half thousand calories a day. Um, and then when I exercise, it needs to be up at like 5,000 or, you know, sometimes and getting enough in for me is quite a struggle sometimes. Like I need to work hard on that and I've added a few things like, you know, putting some protein powder in my, my morning coffee or, uh, I, yeah, the snack thing was a, a big thing because I was never really a natural snacker. I would just have my three meals a day. But now I've added in, you know, have a, a cereal bar or a protein bar mm-hmm. here or there at work when I have a moment when I can. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's just getting enough in. And I would say that, uh, you know, anyone I'm, I'm training or coaching is, uh, it needs to start with enough, but also, you know, good quality, lots of, you know, fruit and vegetables, fiber, plenty of protein. Mm. Um, yeah, and, and don't worry too much about what you're eating as long as you're making the, the healthy choices. Yeah. You know, if you're managing your stress and you're exercising and training regularly, eating well and enjoying your food, got good support, family, friends, like your health will just be a side effect of all of those factors. Um, exactly, 100%. Yeah. Mm, mm. Yeah, I'm so, and that's, that's, what I preach, yeah, you're completely aligned with me there, is that <laughs> you, you shouldn't, you know, it, it's not what comes first, it's kind of, rather than having, um, you know, a goal at the end of the tunnel, it's more the process, you should be enjoying what you're doing, everything will fall in place as long as you get those basics of, yeah, stress, relationships, sleep, nutrition, um, and if you're enjoying that and making it work, you'll get those great outcomes that you wanted, yeah. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And 80s, 90s era, you're right, it was bad for, um, you know, fats the devil and I don't know, diets and Weight Watchers. It was all very abundant in that time. Um, yeah. 
what do you think your own relationship has been like with food growing up and yeah how how is it now well yeah as i said i i definitely got duped into those messages as a teen just because you don't understand Mm. um and my dad is austrian might have noticed from the name uh so his his culture of food was just you know big abundant very fatty meals like he would and he was also a chef so he was used to working in restaurants where they just add extra salt and sugar and butter to everything just because you know it's a luxurious meal that you're going for it's not just your home cooked meal but he'd bring that home so that would be the norm yeah um so it was always very rich and fatty kind of foods as a child and i, I was happy to eat anything i was never really fussy um but then because yeah i was interested in you know, medicine, science, biology, how the body worked. I think I did have a bit more of that health focus, particularly as a teen, and was interested in those mess- that health messaging. And I think it was just the wrong, the wrong pathway. So I was I was pretty skinny as a teen, and um, yeah, probably underate a little bit. Uh, and then I left home as a seventeen-year-old and started cooking for myself. And that's when I kind of learned a bit better about how to you know, structure meals and get enough protein. And then it kind of got better and better after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then now, yeah, I, I feel got a very healthy diet. You know, I have very few, um, you know, vices. I eat dark chocolate. I don't eat takeaways very much. Everything's home cooked and, you know, good quality. I'm at the shop every week buying as many different colors of vegetables and things I can. I think that's that's kind of a big factor as well enough variety that you enjoy eating and it's really giving you different nutrients every day i think that's a big part of it as well yeah eat the rainbow (laughs) eat the rainbow exactly yeah do you think that heightened interest in health from when you were a teenager is what drove you into medicine or was there like a key moment in your life where you're like yes medicine's for me no i didn't have a key moment other people yeah i've talked to have uh for me it was just being interested you know how how does how do things work? You know, I was always interested in how everything worked, but um, doing the sciences at school, it was kind of, yeah, how does this human body function? And it was always amazing to me. So just learning more about that and then medicine was a pretty nice natural fit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, and to, sorry, jumping around slightly, I wanted to go back to when you were injured the first time with your stress fracture and then you had a little dabble in triathlon. Um, so you obviously focused on your swimming and your cycling. How long did you have for your running between training and actually doing the event? Yeah, I can't remember the exact timings. I had a quite a nice lead-in. It was probably something like five or six months, actually. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. where I was, yeah it was enough time because it was basically an injury and then probably about a full year before I actually did my first event. So I, I took about a year to learn how to swim um, to any kind of – you know, basic standard <laughs> and then how to structure that along with, you know, doing your brick sessions and getting them all together in a nice structured way. Um, yeah. So my first event was actually a half Ironman and then another one over on in Napier. They had a nice half Ironman there. Gotcha. And then the way the New Zealand um, season is structured so you've got a few of those leading up until Ironman in March mm-hmm. so yeah it was it was very decent and I learned a lot from doing that yeah uh, also about you know a lot of 
recovery and how your body is affected by doing different sessions at different times. And um, I, I found it quite fascinating. Yeah, you could do a really hard swim in the morning and it could completely knacker you. <laughs> You'd be done. Um, but if you just structure things in a different way, then you can yeah do so much more. Like I find that quite interesting to, to play around with. Cool. <clears throat> and so you may or may not be back to Kona. Well, yeah, now they've switched it around. So they have a turnabout Kona and Nice and there's different things happening. So, yeah, I, mean, I don't know. Mm. It's not on the cards right now, but I would I would be keen to maybe try it again in the future. Yeah. Um, and as a coach, what would you, how would you describe your style? I mean, it's pretty cool that um, as a coach, you have such a great knowledge of physiology and, and health. Um so I, I bet your athletes love that. But how would you describe like the way you work and your approach to coaching? What what would you say is unique about you? Yeah, I mean, I try and be very um, specific to the individual. So, you know, as we talked about, this is training that needs to fit in with their life. So I want to, you know, take the time to understand, you know, their backgrounds, where they're coming from, what they've done so far, what their goals are, how much time they've got to put into it, mm-hmm. the other stresses in their life, the other commitments they've got going on, you know, how many work hours, how many, you know, childcare hours, what other hobbies have they got. So I really try and understand that just as that, you know, fundamental level first, and then building it into their life. Mm-hmm. So and then being realistic about what you can achieve with that. Mm-hmm. So you know if you want to go and, you know, yeah, win all these events but you can only devote four hours a week then you know we need to have a discussion and say actually maybe this is more realistic so yeah it's just having those um basics sorted first about your commitments and what you can you can do and what you want to achieve and then yeah just setting a a training peaks kind of schedule that would fit into your goal so i, I like people to pick you know one or two a events over the next, say, you know, six months or a year that they want to work towards and something that actually will motivate them and make them a little bit scared. I think that's always good. Just have something that's slightly out of your capability and you'll work towards it. Mm. Um, and then you're making a program specifically for that, but also being very mindful to have lots of feedback sessions and be very open to changing things up if it isn't working. Um, and I try and look at the you know, the stats on training peaks, which is quite good to see, you know, training stress scores and things to make sure that people are adapting and, and taking it on board. Mm. And it's always a two-way conversation because you can find that, you know, someone gets ill or they're having a stressful time at work or something else is going on. You can tell from their numbers, you know, pretty quickly. Um, but I'd rather have a discussion, you know, at day one of that or even before it happens rather than three days down the line where you're already a little bit overcooked and you've you know been a bit overtrained mm. and you started to affect affect your sleep and your your food like yeah so it's quite nice to having getting to know my, my athletes really well and having a, a nice two-way conversation about um how everything's going yeah mm. yeah just great mm. cool i really like that and if people are interested in getting coached how can they get in touch with you or or trail athletes yeah, so trailathlete.net is our website. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a couple of coaches on there. Uh, so Harris, who started Trail Athlete, and Katie Wright, who's an amazing runner based in the South Island. 
Um, he's also won lots of events. Uh, so all information is on there if you do want to sign up. Um, and you can, yeah, get in contact with me directly as well. Um, best place to find me is on Instagram, usually, as a social media place. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Cool. All righty. Now, to finish... Fast five, which I've kind of had to make up on the spot because I didn't prepare them earlier, so it's very much a fast five. Um, if you were to travel anywhere in the world you haven't been, what's the first place you'd go to? Oh, um, fast five. I'm not going that fast. It's okay. <laughs> for me, for me at the moment, I'm really excited about going to Chamonix and racing in the Alps. So I've got to say there, yeah. Particularly, actually, going to Switzerland and seeing some of the peaks. So, yeah, that's that's top of my list right now. Yeah, that's going to be so cool. Your all-time favourite food? Oh, uh, that's just one food. That's hard. Um, possibly peanut butter. I eat a lot of peanut butter. Uh, particularly, there's a few amazing brands of peanut butter in New Zealand that I love. So, yeah, that'll be my go-to. Fix and Fog? Fix and Fog's fantastic. I quite like 40 Thieves. They're fantastic as well, if you haven't tried them. No, I haven't. Might have to now. Yeah. yeah. Their um, pure peanut butter is great, but they do a few other different variations of nut butters that, yeah, makes my breakfast a lot happier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you weren't a doctor, what would you be? Oh, uh, uh, professional runner. <laughs> well ideally in an ideal world that would be fun wouldn't it yeah just to get paid to do something amazing like trail running that you you love to do it'd be the life wouldn't it yeah um what is your all-time favorite new zealand event you've competed in oh that's a tough one i enjoy lots of the events for different reasons um mostly I kind of love just that new exploration of a, a new trail that I would have potentially never done by myself. Mm. Um, and then the communities behind some of these events are fantastic. You know, like the amount of effort that people put in for free to make these things happen just kind of blows me away. Mm. So there's, there's probably too many just to put one at the top. But yeah, certainly I have a lot of love for, for Kepler or Ghost. Um, the route burn for the first time this year is great. I could tell, actually, one of my my first trail run events, which I did terribly at, was um, the Raglan Cario Trail, which okay. is over near Raglan on, uh, yeah, west of Hamilton. And there's this guy, Francois, who just lives in Raglan, he's from France originally, amazing guy that just puts on this event out of just love of that mountain. And it's brutal, absolutely brutal. Uh, I first signed up for it and didn't quite know what I was letting myself in for. It's essentially just straight up some of the most gnarly terrain you can imagine. It doesn't feel that safe when you look at it, actually. <laughs> uh, but fantastic, fantastic well-supported um, and really community-spirited, you know, spirited, great vibe, you know, like a nice little barbecue at the end. So, yeah, it was, it was actually that event that probably got me hooked to do more events. Mm. Um, so he's, he's one of my favourites, yeah. yeah. Francois that organises organizes that one. Is that still going, that event? It's their 10th year this year, yeah. And I think he um, is putting on a big party for this year and then is taking a little bit of a gap um, just to take a break from it for a few years. So, yeah, I know he would love more people to go and experience it. So, yeah, yeah look that one up. December yeah. as well. 
Yeah. Cool. I might have to add it to the list. Yeah. And last but not least, what is your favorite go-to trail shoe? Ah, um, the last few years I've been running it in Asics. Um, it's called the Tribuku Light. Yeah. You've used it? Yeah. I have Fantastic it. shoe. Loads of grip. Yeah. It's pretty good for the wet Wellington trails and a lot of other stuff. So, yeah, that's my go-to. This morning, actually, Matt Hutt trails, it was so frosty. They were just pure, solid ice. Um, and, yeah, my Essex Tribucos, if that's how you say it, uh, they got me through <laughs> safely. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, I'm not sponsored by them, but now I have uh, a lot of love for those shoes that yeah. uh, got me through a lot of events over the last few years. Yeah, and I've improved the design now too. I used to find you'd get holes in them really quick, but n- no more, so that's good. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I really, really appreciate your time, and I'm sure all your athletes and many other people will love listening to um, yeah, hearing all about you and what you do. Great. Yeah, and I've had a fantastic time chatting with you. Thank you very much.